Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider. It is 4th of July week. It's Monday, July 2nd, and I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. Talking a little bit uh, about the freshmen. The freshmen have arrived. They've been here actually for a couple weeks now. Tom Loy is in Dallas for the opening. Notre Dame had a, got a uh, verbal commitment from a really talented, highly touted tight end, Michael Mayer, who they can team with Kevin Bauman now in the class of 2020. And we'll continue our talk about uh, Notre Dame upcoming opponents, Stanford and Virginia Tech. But let's start with the freshmen. We don't have, Pete, I don't think you've heard. Uh, Information-wise, anything different than I, than I have at this point, other than Phil Jerkovic looks like a really good quarterback. No yeah, surprise. That's that's pretty much it to date. Is that Jerkovic passes all look tests as you would expect, and um, you know, as this was sort of discussed on the board a little bit, that the first impressions that I got last year were highly, highly indicative of how the season was going to go. And a few years from now, we may look back and say those first impressions were indicative of how they, their careers went. Um, you know, and to recap, that was Darnell Yule looked like he was not close to being ready, but stock was way up on uh, Myron Tungabailoa-Mosa. Kirk Heinish was a little bit of a yeah. surprise at this time last year. People like Michael Young. Um, Cole Komet was billed as a, a future superstar to me, and Jordan Jenmarquise was sort of intriguing. Flip side with Yule were the two freshman linebackers, David Adams and Drew White, were sort of like, eh, how is this going to fit together? And lo and behold, a year later, David Adams has retired due to medical concerns, and, and Drew White is a long way away after a broken foot in spring. I think we also heard real quality reports on Josh Lugg last year at this yeah. time. Maybe that came a little yeah. bit later once they started, once they put the pads on. I don't, I don't want to throw, I don't want to be Debbie Downer here, but I just will say this about quarterbacks. You know, Dane Chris looked great as a, as a young quarterback throwing the football around, and then when you had to add in adversity and all the things that come with the, the playing the position he wasn't able to hold up not saying Phil Jerkovic won't be able to hold up just throwing a warning flag up there that let's let this evolve a little bit before we uh, christen him the the next great quarterback that's the most important point because we never heard a bad word about Brandon Wimbush when he was coming up for two years either no it's, it's all obviously how you perform but what's unique about this season's freshman Generally, by the end of July, with all the stuff gathered from inside the Goog and stuff you know, you could write a story on who is going to play and who's not. Not necessarily how they're going to do. Guys always surprise you when they get in there. You can't write that story anymore because extra guys are going to play, some of them with an eye toward the end of the year when you can really help. And I know, Tim, you interviewed both coordinators, and just logically speaking, how you use the freshmen that might only play four games this year and still keep the red shirt is just a much different world than before. You, there's no, as you said before, there's no more line involved. You don't have to say, oh, yeah, well, he broke right. his pinky, so he couldn't play and anymore. I, and, I, and I said that yeah. directly to both coordinators, and they, you know, they nod their head. Yeah, they, they, they get that. Yeah, the great, the great thing is you don't have to play those games anymore, but, and I think Tim, and I, you, Tim you and I talked about this in the last podcast, there still has to be a strategy 
as to how you use these guys, especially if you're playing Ball State. Ball State's got some serious defensive issues, so Notre Dame's going to score a lot of points that day. What do you do? Do you throw all those guys in? Do you use up one of, the, one of those four games, or do you wait till November? Plus, you know, the bowl game counts as well, too, as one of those four. They'll probably identify, as usual, ten guys that are going to play. They tend to throw those guys out there right away. Now, this year might be an exception with the opener being Michigan, but usually those freshmen that are going to play get out there against Temple because we're always scrambling on kickoff coverage. Well, who's got an el- yeah, year of eligibility burn Houston, right there? One that, Houston Griffith will yeah. definitely be playing I, I in a think Michigan it, game. barring an injury in camp, Kevin Austin's going to play. Yeah. It, it would have to have. He's going to play more yeah, than four games. You, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah the odds guys are going to play, but you're, and Derek Allen will too. But you're getting to guys now where Jack Lamb played four games. Does he show well at that? Now, Jason Adamalola, you would expect to play, but let's say he doesn't have a great camp, but they think they can help him. They think he can help. Does he just get in against Vandy, and then you see, well, now we have three games for him where we can use him, or, wow, he's much better than we thought. It's yeah. time to play him. I don't think you just throw him in. You, you, you just don't throw them in anymore, especially if a guy like, okay, he shows a little bit of promise, but I think he's going to be able to help us after he has another eight weeks of uh, practice. Yeah. You know, so there's got to be a strategy to it. We talked about that in the last podcast, and, and that was something that I discussed with, with Chip Long and Clark Lee, that there's got to be a game plan heading in with freshmen. You can't just throw them in games. I, I'd be curious to see how they factor special teams and receivers specifically because it seems like you could – like, is there going to be a huge difference between what Joe Wilkins and Noah Boykin and DJ Brown <laughs> give you on kickoff coverage? Probably not. So – Spread that out over the course of the year, and then if you do four games times three times three yeah. players, you're you've covered the entire regular season. And maybe one of them ends up being really good at it. You yeah, know, you would have no um, notes for it. You know your wide receiver position, and figure out who your your rotation is. And then the seventh guy is probably a freshman. Does that seventh guy need to be the same freshman, or strategically can it be Kevin Austin for four games, Lawrence Keys for four games? Micah Jones maybe for a game here or there. Braden Lindsay for Braden Lindsay's probably going to play on special teams, but I just don't. Unless there's a huge gap between the freshmen, um, it seems like you could be a, a little bit more judicious with it. But ultimately, it's <coughs> the benefits here are, are the same things that we've been talking about. Um, you know, with, about Romeo Okwara, Kona Schwenke, You know, even like uh, probably Kareem and Julian Okwara yeah. a couple years ago. It, it's pretty fringe. Um, this is only going to really benefit a few guys in terms of the fifth year of a player who's good enough that you want back, um, but also good enough that is not just a depth it, guy, too. It's interesting you say that because I, my sense as I've been going through the summer, you start looking at guys a little bit more closely, is that by the end of, by the end of 2019, Khalid Kareem, I think he's going to be ready to play in the NFL or is going to be ready to, to, to take that jump. Now, that's a huge stretch. Well, he you have to hope so, though. It's yeah, well, really right, is, exactly. He, that's, yeah. that's what good teams have, senior defensive line. Well, I'm saying, but, but, he, but years, he, yeah. Lo- yeah, he lost that year of yeah, eligibility. So I'm, I'm, my point is that I don't think he would have been around for 2020 anyway. Now, that's speculation. We don't know. He hasn't. He's barely done anything, and now he has to play full-time. But but I don't know. We'll We'll see about that. Well, it's uh, like, I mean, Romeo Okwara clearly was good enough to play in the NFL when he could have been a fifth-year senior here, but I still think he would have been a fifth-year senior here. I don't think he would have gone pro. Um, so it's just like you can... Yeah, but like Cody Schwenke made it, but he yeah. would have come back. But he, but he was, I, yeah, he was free agent. He didn't yeah. know that he was going to right. make it in the NFL. Yeah, he would have come back for a fifth year. I, I, I think he would have wholeheartedly, uh, you know, latched onto that as a springboard to get drafted. Yeah, no question. So, I mean, you know, offensive linemen, how do they 
treat that because there's the tenth lineman this year, tenth varsity lineman, which you have to have, um, is either a walk on or a freshman. Now, Colin Grunhardt obviously is another. You can make it so he is your tenth and rep Trevor Rule in the guard, but they have they'll have nine mm-hmm. non freshmen plus four freshmen plus they like for practice purposes Logan Plants can play. But you think does that mean the best? The most ready lineman, does he play four games because then you season... Let's just say Jared Patterson. Does he play four games, not in AI terms, <laughs> we need him for a major bowl or playoff run, but does he play four games because you want him to play four games, knowing he's going to be down the line? Yeah. I, got, I think, I think so. so. Yeah, But not all of them. They're not all going to be no, physically it's ready. It's going to be mop-up time yeah. for the offensive linemen, but that's better than no time. And that they'll be very judicious about the four games, assuming any of them are ready to go. It's, I mean, it, on the freshman class overall, I was talking to somebody on staff... Uh, last week, and I said, like, am I crazy that Luke Jones might be the best freshman offensive lineman? And he's like, no, I totally, I think there's a real well, chance that he could be outstanding. For yeah, us. and, and you know, he's a guy that you would want to work in because he could be a multi-position type yeah, guy. And I mean, you know, you can say Trevor Rulon can go ahead and be your center next year, but I, yeah, I mean, I certainly got the same impression, Pete, that Luke Luke Jones is a guy they want to fast track and be ready to hit the ground running in 2019. So he definitely gets. He definitely gets four games. It'll be weird. It won't be weird. It'll be unique if Trevor Ruland is the center next year for one year and he handles it and does it well as a fifth-year senior that's never played because Brian Kelly's centers have been three-year starter Braxton Cave, three-year starter Nick Martin, although when he broke his thumb and had yeah. to move for Hegarty, and three-year starter Sam Mustafer. Ruland is a really valuable backup offensive lineman, but if all of a sudden you're going from Nick Martin, top center, Sam Mustafer, top center, to a one-year stopgap in Ruland, who's a backup center. He's a backup center, right? That's the yep. best way of describing him. Maybe they are fast-tracking someone to at least work in, in Congress with him. Maybe Luke Jones would take over as the season progresses yeah, I mean, or something. I, I mean, I still think it makes sense for Ruland to be the starting yeah, he's center 22 years old, but right, it's, exactly. an odd, it's an oddity, though. They it is. have it's, to have it, that it's, it's rare. And it, 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 as you say, it rarely happens with Brian Kelly. Uh, we have The great thing about the freshman rule is, we're going to be talking about that all year because it, it yeah, you know, that's true. I mean, because okay, are they going to use him now? Is this a situation? It'll be in a game, maybe a fourth quarter where, where a game's one sided and you didn't expect it, and it's it's going to be. So it'll be interesting. It's a fun little rule for all of us, and I know, you know, the two coordinators absolutely love yeah. the rule. I, I mean, I, I why would a coach not love that rule? No, it's great. I mean, I, I think it's some it makes it more interesting, but also less because there's just less on the line when a guy plays. Well, that's true. It's, it's not know. news when he runs in on the kickoff. No, it's true. like, oh my God, C.J. Holmes is playing at North <laughs> yeah. Carolina. But what are gonna, they doing? But you know, you're still going to say, okay, D.J. Brown, that's one game. You know, you're, oh, you're sure. going to you're going to keep track as they as they do make appearances. They, might have, been, they might have been burning C.J. Holmes yeah. year for his yeah. next team. That was, Who apparently that was is cool. going to walk on at Penn State or attempt to walk on at Penn State. Yes. That'll be interesting. But Tom Loy is in Dallas. Uh, 24-7 Sports Tom Loy is in Dallas. He's there for the opening. I don't think any of us are surprised, especially uh, you and me, Pete, because we, we, we were on Kyle Hamilton from the beginning listed as a three-star player. We thought he was one of the best players in the class. I'm still surprised about how good he looks, though. Like, I thought he was God, he's good. long. Is yeah. he, isn't he and long? Thick, I mean... And, much bigger than yeah. I was expecting. So I, I'm even though I was high on him, I'm still surprised about how yeah. good he's looking. And he ran a four six two electronically timed, so that's an accurate number. And you know, we we tend to we tend to say four fours, and, and most guys that are four fours are really four five something. Right. So four six two for a long safety like that is a really really good number. Forty inch vertical is a real forty good inch vertical is ridiculous. And I just watched a little bit of film on from the opening. I mean, he's long. 
He reacts well. He, there's one clip where he's, you know, head up on a guy in press coverage, reacts well to movement, and the length is just just off the chart. So yeah, the pow- the power ball. He was the big, the best of the defensive backs down there. That's basically where you're throwing a medicine. You're from a kneeling position, throw a medicine ball as far as you can. Um, he was a guy in his junior year when you watch tape of him or you see photos of him. I I thought he was like kind of skinny and little bit gangly yeah. um but he clearly has put on some really good power i mean he's got an athletic family mostly on the basketball side so that that's intriguing to me we haven't really heard much about uh not enough south offensive to date not so yet far. no um, but know, i know him but him and hamilton and him are definitely you know tristan sinclair is there i, I love tristan sinclair's film he's explosive he's aggressive Stanford has the inside track, but I wouldn't rule Notre Dame out there. He's a guy that has been very impressed with Notre Dame. And so uh, Asafo Mensa and Hamilton, in addition to taking care of their own business, I think are probably working well on Tristan Sinclair. You guys both mentioned Hamilton's length, but we saw a picture uh, was a week and a half ago of Derek Allen in the background at an early conditioning session. That is some length. He's going to be a big, yeah. I want to see him run. <laughs> I want to see him run at that length. See him run around the first day. I assume they're going to Culver again, right? Yeah, they has are. that been they announced? Yeah, third um, will be the first day. Yeah, that'll be, it'll be fun. Yeah, tracking those guys because first impressions, first impressions are, are lasting impressions until you get something to change. You them. mean Cajun Makla throwing up after an hour? Yeah, that yeah, that and Yule dragging. Uh, you know, behind, that's the worst first. Behind, we'll never have a first impression. And like that again. you know, Smith's first practice. I was like, well. Yeah, this yeah, one looks pretty good. That was a different first impression. Yeah, Manti Taylor, I remember the yeah. same way. You're like, oh, my God, look at the size of that guy. A couple other guys in Dallas, Aeneas DeCosmo, who's somebody that I'm really, really high on. I know he's listed as a three-star, but there's just his potential is so far above that. And I love his game. And, I, and I, you know, again, I think we're talking about, uh, talking about Stanford again, right? Stanford, Michigan, I think, Stan- is really yeah. highly involved there, too. So it's um, – yeah, the defensive end recruiting is still uh, it's a challenge. I mean, you get one not enough Safamenza when you really need to be signing two every year. Yeah, yeah and every year. I mean, and he's yeah. more of a strong side defensive end. Not that not that you don't need those, and not that he's. I mean, he's a really good football player, and I think Safamenza is just going to keep getting better and better because he's he's a very in, relatively inexperienced yeah. football player. So he'll keep getting better. But I love the Cosmo on the Upwood coming off the edge on the other side. And Tristan Sinclair and Asa Turner are, I think, Tim, you and I talked about those two guys the, the last podcast. I mean, I just think those the upside for those two linebackers is great, but there is a limit as to how many linebackers Nordane will be able to take with two verbal commitments already. Yeah, well, I mean, definitely they'll take one of those guys. Yeah. Um, and I think in an ideal world, maybe they would try to take both. But, I mean, that's it's a class that's 20, I think, would be a – not conservative number that they would shoot for. I mean, it could be a little bit lower than that, and you're sitting there, I believe, at 15 today. Um, there's a pretty good chance they'll be at 17 by the time we our, we do our next podcast. So it's uh, their space is is very very limited. Um, so they have to be pretty judicious with what they do. But I, I believe uh, Tom Lloyd put in a crystal ball pick for Asa Turner just recently. Um, you know, maybe in the last 48 hours or so. It's uh, he like Sinclair. I mean, they're both sort of like bigger, good-looking athletes. Um, you know, I wouldn't compare either of them to, to Jack Lamb necessarily, but they are longer, a lot of room to fill out. Um, 
and from California. Yeah, Turner. Tur yeah, Turner's a really interesting athlete. I mean, he's listed six four. Uh, he looks like he's that long. He's got great bounce, change of direction. Sinclair is the one that's just explosive and physical and knocking into yesterday. I mean, really like those two guys. And we talked last time about Jack Kaiser getting getting the the um, verbal commitment, giving the verbal commitment to Notre Dame. And I just would hate for them if they had an opportunity to get Turner and Sinclair uh, to to miss out on either one of those guys. But we'll see what happens. Notre Dame did get a verbal commitment from Michael Mayer, uh, a 2020 tight end from Kentucky. He joins Kevin Ballman, uh, another tight end. And, of course, they have the quarterback commitment from Drew, Drew Pine. So Drew Pine has his Y receivers to throw to. Uh, boy, they're, they you know they really are a kind of a Brock Wright-Cole Komet kind of combination. Um, Kevin Ballman I, I compare to Ben Koyak. Michael Mayer I compare to John Carlson. Um, so, um, you know, I like those two guys, and Drew Pine is going to have a nice uh, option there uh, with the two tight ends. Yeah, I mean, Mayer out of uh, Covington Catholic in Kentucky, just south of Cincinnati, some interesting Notre Dame connections there. Uh, his high school assistant basketball coach is Joe Frederick. You might remember from uh, Catholic Social Comics. I talked to, talk to, talk to Joe quite often, actually. Uh, and then on top of that, his older brother was the quarterback of the state champion both basketball and football teams, and he is signed with Miami of Ohio, Chuck Martin. So there's uh, some Notre Dame connections there, and I believe Joe Frederick's nephew was the best player on their basketball team. Yeah. He's going to Iowa. He wasn't eligible to win Mr. Basketball just because of the, uh, the, the yeah. Ohio, Kentucky, in Porter, Kentucky. In Kentucky. Yeah, it was a strange situation that he wasn't too happy about. Well, May Mayer's a good football player. I mean, and I think he's a guy that uh, – I think he's more athletic than he is fast. I, I don't think that's a contradiction. I think you can no. you can ha have athleticism and not have great speed. But again, he's growing into his body. What, what is he? Sixteen? I mean, I assume he's sixteen. He's six five, two forty. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just incredible the the size and frames with the athleticism that the, that the kids have today. So he's still growing into his body. I think he's kind of a, an intriguing defensive end prospect who has. This is the thing. Mayer has such great balance, whether he's catching the football, bouncing off a defender, spinning away, twisting to make a catch, he stays on his feet. When he's blocking in space, the only time he goes to the ground is when he pancakes somebody. Defensive <laughs> end, they knock him around. He, he keeps his outside shoulder free. If he gets knocked on the ground, he's back up again and still makes the plays. A kid with great, great balance. And I think that's a, a sign of great athleticism. Comet 2.0 was the text that I received from somebody over at Notre Dame. Oh, I think that's 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 a great comparison. I said John Carlson just because I don't like to, you know, you like somebody with a background. Be a little more creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, I still think, you know, I'd still rate Comet higher than that because I think Comet is going to be really, well, really special. But yeah, his ceiling, is, yeah, his ceiling is crazy. But I think that, you know, you can say the same thing about Mayer, especially when you're talking about a kid that's just going into his junior year and it's 6'5", 240 or thereabouts. Yeah, he's got the he's got the whole package for sure. So I think maybe we're do we want to talk a little bit uh Virginia Tech? Yeah, let's talk about or those, Stanford, I Stanford say. first and, and Virginia Tech as we move through the the, the schedule and Stanford is it's an unusual Stanford team. I mean, I think they're loaded offensively. We love their quarterback, Costello. Bryce Love is still there. 
That's, unfortunately. That's amazing. Uh, their <laughs> offensive line is the best on Notre Dame's schedule this year, including Notre Dame's. Wide receiver, you know, our Sega Whiteside is still there. Trent Irwin is still there. Caden Smith, their tight end, is is probably the best tight on tight end on the schedule. They're loaded offensively. They have such a type now at wide receiver and tight end as the Harbaugh era moved into the Shaw era of the big, tall, and athletic, as you said. They're more athletic than fast. That, for me, in college football at least, is always a compliment. You're much better off being an ultra-athlete than just straight-line fast. And no doubt. I mean, Stanford's pass catchers, call them receivers, tight ends, whatever, they, they spread the best ones out. That's what they are. They're a, they're a type now. They Sadly, they look like Cole Komet running down the field. Yeah. <laughs> they got a bunch of them. It, it's a tough matchup when you have Bryce Love on your team already. Yeah, it's like Caden Smith, Colby Parkinson. I, I believe Caden Smith is a guy that I saw at the opening a few years ago, and I was like, did Notre Dame not recruit this guy? Like <laughs> he he looks he looked like Brock Wright, who was a year younger at the time as I was watching him. Um, yeah, that offensively and like Trent Irwin was a guy. I remember going back to I think Tim and I were I don't know if it was Chicago or Baltimore. Maybe I was with Jake Brown. This is a long time ago, but Trent Irwin was there. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't. Yeah, there. it was Baltimore because yeah. uh, he was going against like Biggie Marshall, and this guy looks like he is a non-athlete. Um, skinny, skinny white dude, no muscles at the time, and he just ran circles around people. I mean, it was um, it was like a Chris Fink on steroids kind of like quickness and uh, the cuts and the moves that he made, and just sort of like how he basically was toying with five star defensive backs. Um, he is still there and really hasn't had a quarterback to throw him the ball. Maybe with Costello going into what is amounts to like. Not really his second year starting, but it's also not his first year yeah. starting because he just came out at the end of last season, uh, including against Notre Dame. I mean that that could be a, a underneath matchup issue that um, you know with those the Arcega Whitesides, Caden Smith, Coley Parkinson, it could be could be a real difficult thing to stop. Well, a guy like a guy like Irwin is why you have to have not only the theory of Sean Crawford, you have to have Sean Crawford from September when yeah. you're playing against the good teams this year, not. Not just Sean Crawford from September. Now, he he wore down, and no one can fault him for wearing down after missing two years of football with injuries, but he can't wear down again this year. He's the type of player that can stick with those guys. You don't have to stick with them every play. It's not going to happen. It's an offensive game nowadays, but he gives Notre Dame a chance. You need There's matchup problems against Stanford, but as Tim has pointed out <laughs> quite a bit before these podcasts, there are some matchup problems for Stanford's defense with Notre Dame's offense, too, and that's not something you're used to. No, I mean, it's, you know, Harrison Phillips was just... He, well, he just Absolutely wrecked ridiculous. everything inside. He had, unbelie- was... he had, he had triple-digit tackles, which is like a Trevor Laws kind of thing, which I always marveled at Trevor Laws' last year in Notre Dame. Um, you know, so he's gone. They are very unproven up front. The thing is, they're still good at linebacker. They have three of their four starters returning in the secondary, and their new starter is probably going to be, stop me if you've ever heard this name before, Paul, Paulson Adebo. Uh, who was verbally committed to Notre Dame and then ended up at Stanford. So, But, you know, still up front, you, you look at that matchup of Notre Dame's offensive line against that Stanford defensive front, and you would think at that stage by midseason 2018 that Notre Dame should be, that offensive line should be pretty good at that point. Yeah, I mean, Justin Reed, their safety, also went <laughs> left early. That was a significant loss on top of Phillips, who was basically like the yeah, Quentin Nelson uh, of defensive Justin Reed and, and Quentin Meeks as well. Yeah. yeah. Justin, Justin Reed, I think, was the, the standout there. So 
it might be a little different than the last three times Stanford came here, where the winning team had 20 in overtime, 14. It's going to be more like a 17. game at Stanford. Yeah, or probably crazy. at right. Stanford's yeah. scoreline. Isn't it, yeah, isn't it interesting it's how, how, it yeah, how uh, depending of well, not necessarily depending upon the venue, but that's how it's, it's how worked, it's worked out. out for the last six games in, in, out there, in seven recent games. recent years. You know, um, so now we're looking at consecutive games. We're looking at Wake Forest, which Tim and I agreed last time that that's going to be a challenge on the road. Stanford, and then to Virginia Tech, which kickoff time has not been announced, but I will bet $1.3 million that it'll be at night. I would be pissed if it was during the day. I know. <laughs> it's like, I want that to be a night game so I can see what it's all about. You know, it's like they're... That is a team, I, I think, with Justin Fuente is an excellent head coach. Um, I think he's sort of under the radar compared to you know the elite's running well, program. A couple of years ago, right really, now, really, really we, good. that was one of the guys when you're like, mm-hmm. who would you foresee as Notre Dame's next coach when Brian Keller retires? Yes. Justin Fuente is on that list. That was the, I mean, really, when he was in Memphis, people were hoping for Justin Fuente. And now it would have to be a few years yeah. down the line for now, me. But. but they have issues. I mean, they lost a lot of talent. They lost the Edmund brothers, uh, Edmonds brothers, in both in the first round, right? Yep. And, and, you know, and um, so they are, they're really good up front defensively. I think Josh Jackson, they caught a break. Josh Jackson had some academic issues. Surprised and they caught that break, aren't you? No. <laughs> uh, oh, he's eligible? No, really? not at all. Yeah. Quarterback's eligible, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's back, but you know their offensive line—they've really had trouble running the football. Their offensive line returns people, but they haven't run the football well behind them. As I mentioned, the the uh, the, the defensive line is stout, but their greatest concern is at linebacker, and I think they lost three out of four starters in the secondary as well. Their oldest scholarship linebacker is a sophomore. Yeah, That's I mean that is that, that that is definitely the number one concern on their program as their linebacker play. But they're still, you know, you, you look around at the Virginia Tech rankings where their defensive line is, I contend that they're better than what some of the preseason magazines have had that, them listed. That at. covers up a lot of stuff, too. Bud Foster plus a defensive line that can play can make your team better. No doubt about it. But really, this is a this is a Bud Foster test for Notre Dame and a composure test. Notre Dame is pound for pound the better football team wow. than Virginia Tech. The way that they are currently constituted, assuming... I mean, Notre Dame should be at full strength in the backfield at this point, too. This is well into the year. This is what this is a game that, if Notre Dame loses it, part of it is because they do not fare well in yeah. big game environments at night. Or they don't, you know what, they don't start well. Even when they play well overall, like Clemson, there's just something that happens in these games where they get behind. They didn't so start well at Florida yeah. State. I mean, they, that was the, one of their best games they've played. The first half that was, was, a, that mean, was an outstanding game. So is it, you think the environment's going to be like Miami? No. No, I don't think it's going to be like Miami at all. They don't have the hatred that, that Miami has. No, there's so That's much like the extra juice to that yeah. one. Like, I, I, that was, the hatred there was out of this world. And I honestly, I was going to make this point. Notre Dame's going to have a great crowd for Michigan. A great, great crowd for Michigan. The best crowd since the last time Michigan came. Because that's the only people... Notre Dame it's fans true. truly hate right now. It's true. They are going to have an outstanding Nor- crowd for We've that We've talked about this before. Do, do Notre Dame fans hate USC? It's, I mean, I'm sure there's a segment. Didn't like losing them. to him with Pete Carroll. But, but it's I mean, not. Whatever. it just doesn't feel like it does with Michigan to me. It, there's, it's the, the hatred now for Michigan's program from Notre Dame fans. You can't, as you said, you can't, Tim, you can't say a word about Michigan without someone coming back oh, and about how much they hate Michigan. The, that's <laughs> the, just, the, the, every time I the, the first rate series and I rate Michigan <laughs> high, somebody the best way for me to get responses to my 
generally anonymous <laughs> coach, first rate coach series. number one. Wait, they're playing Alabama this year. How do you have Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> <laughs> Just rate Michigan high in a category, and I'm an idiot. This is an interesting analysis of Virginia Tech. Uh, yeah, no, that, it's, that's, I just segue back to this crowd's going to be awesome. Notre Dame's Michigan's crowd is going to be awesome. I think Notre Dame at Virginia Tech will be like Notre Dame at Florida State. I think it will be like Notre Dame at Clemson. Um, I think it will be a big game. But at Miami, it was their biggest game in the last 25 years. So you're years. saying they can handle it then? They can handle it a lot better than they had at Miami. Um, yeah, it's just not going to be. It's just not going to be the same. I mean, Virginia Tech they hosted Ohio State a couple years ago. That was a bit, they play a lot of big games. Like they're a good program. Like at that point in Miami, they have they hadn't played a big game yeah. at home in like fifteen years. Plus they're somehow the. I mean, they were the underdog. They hate Notre Dame. Notre Dame was rolling. So that was a that was the perfect storm, as it unfortunately turned out. Yes, exactly. So like the environment will be a test. Um, but I don't think it's one that is going to be, um, you know, Miami level. It'll, yeah. it'll just be like, hey, this is a big game on the road. That that when I asked Brian Kelly on Thursday, what do you expect? And he says, <laughs> kind of like Michigan State. I'm gonna be like, yeah, I think you're probably that's right. allowed. Kind of like Michigan to State. Last time. last time that was not. That was but not he's the right probably answer. going to say like Miami. He better not. Yeah. He shouldn't <laughs> say. Not, she should not say like Miami. Yeah. It'll be like this. Yeah, that, that would fall. Pour <laughs> your pen up. Walk out and leave. That would fall into Pete Sampson's category of like, what are we doing here? Why are we here? That's the official get up and leave. How dare you? Yes. Yes. Alright, we'll be back for segment two with questions from our readers. Welcome back. Segment two, Irish Illustrated Insider. We have questions from Twitter and our readers. First one is from Twitter, Brian Mann, and he wants to know, do you think the starting offensive line against Michigan will be the same as the starting offensive line against USC? You know, I, barring, I, I, barring injuries. Yeah, I mean, point. I, I have, I mean, I just have a hunch that it won't be, and, and I think this is something I threw out on the message board, and and maybe it's far fetched, maybe it's just, maybe I'm just saying it because it's something interesting to talk about, but, <laughs> you know, I, I just don't feel like that offensive line coming out of the spring is settled. I mean, especially with Jeff Quinn being new to the job, uh, and I'm not sure that he's seen necessarily everything that he needs to see. And my question. What I'm wondering is, are Josh Lugg and Aaron Banks, right guard, left tackle, ultimately going to be better than Tommy Kramer, Liam Eikenberg? You mean way I, down I, the line or right or in the next I mean, I, I think, no, I think this year. I mean, okay. I, this season. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Exactly Between Michigan when. and USC. Yeah, I'm not sure. That, right. I don't necessarily think that it'll happen before Michigan. Right. That's tough. But if we're talking about, you know, we're talking about Stanford and Virginia Tech today, I, especially, I know Tommy Kramer is highly touted. He's huge. He's got playing experience. But I think it's going to be really difficult to keep Josh Lug out of the lineup, number one. Number two, Liam Eikenberg against those Michigan defensive ends in the first game. I just wonder if, you know, he gets off to a slow start. And Aaron Banks, who I don't know if you guys have seen Aaron Banks. I saw Aaron Banks the other day. looks absolutely fantastic physically. I'm just wondering. I don't know what you guys think about that. I think that they will start multiple offensive lines. I would even go as far as to say they'll start three different offensive line combinations. Not because of injury. Because they're trying to figure it out. Yeah. And I think it was 2014. Yeah. They started one way, uh, and then they sort of switched Hegarty and Nick Martin midseason. I think they moved they, Elmer inside. They moved Elmer inside at RB Hest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just like Tommy Kramer to guard. Yeah. Um, 
I think that's going to happen again. And, you know, Michigan might be a, a reason why. I mean, not, nothing makes coaches reevaluate their lineups more than a loss. And if they lose to Michigan. Whoa, Pete, we talked about this in the first, <laughs> the first segment. All I'm right. just saying that is, it's like if a quarterback struggles and you lose the game, you're much more inclined to no doubt. pull the trigger Look, or switch. And like, Lud's going, going to play regardless. Right, I mean that's yeah. a, that's a, at least initially I think that's definitely a, a a rotational guy starting the season. I agree, which means two offensive lines is most likely happening. The three would be, I believe, I don't think you're wrong, Pete, but I think it's a bad sign if they play three lines. I don't think it'll be man, things are going pretty well, so we could really improve a little bit by making this one tweak. And boy, we are really hitting our stride. Now let's make this other tweak. You know. A third line usually means a little bit unsettled, considering you went into the spring with four starters. Yeah, well, I mean, I think a third line is probably indicative of a team that is more of a nine-win team than an eleven-win team. You know, if they're if they're going eleven and one, they they might start one line because it means they right. they will have beaten Michigan and probably played pretty well to do it. Two lines make sense no matter what, though, don't you think? With the guy like Lug available, well, if, you, if you're going into it, and and it sounds like you know, I talked to Chip Long about it about well, you know. It wasn't just Harry Heastan that wanted to rotate at right tackle last year. I mean, he never did that. He never did that before. And and Long said, "Yeah, you know, I mean, I, um, you know, encouraged them to do that." Well, Harry's not here, and uh, Chip Long still is, and and I, he wants he wants Josh Lug to play. So, I think he will definitely rotate. I don't know about Aaron Banks with, with Eichenberg. I'm just throwing that idea out there. He's kind of more you you're you're you just like his future and you you're not yeah, sure about like right. Him. And I you know, I don't I mean I frankly I don't think any of us know how either of those two would hold are going to hold up at left tackle. Right. Yeah, I mean it, you mentioned how Eichenberg's gonna have could have issues with Michigan. It's not like Aaron Banks wouldn't. No, that, no that has nothing exactly. to do with that. No, nothing no. to do with this conversation. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah, it's Michigan defensive ends are fantastic. And to clarify, I know that some places Sean Gary is listed as an interior line player, and I'm sure they'll line him up there. But they have him at defensive end, so he's going to be a handful out there. Next question, Matt Kissler wants to know, how do you project <laughs> Avery Davis fitting into Chip Long's offense in 2018? He's definitely very open-minded about it, and he, he loves the way that Avery Davis has approached the job, you know, the opportunity to play the position um, of wide receiver. They want to hand it to him a little bit more. I think maybe Notre Dame's higher on him. Than, than we are, but he has great speed. He's not very big. I'm sure he's going to get a lot stronger over the course of this summer. Um, you know, there's a lot of competition there. I think he's kind of a change of pace guy uh, more than somebody that you, you you feed on a regular basis game after game after game. Well, they didn't have a change of pace guy last year. Right. They ran Josh Adams into the ground. So. Kind of like the Swift, the Swift kid from Georgia. Yeah, you know the freshman that came in. If he's kind of like the Swift (laughs) kid from Georgia. Well, I mean, as far as role, I'm not saying that he's that fast because Swift. He might end up starting. He's kind of like the Swift kid from Georgia. (laughs) But I mean, in terms of role and the change of pace guy, and you 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 give him the jet sweeps and stuff like that. Five touches a game to me. Yeah. Yeah. If he gets, if he's at the end of the year, that'd be sixty touches in the regular season. I yeah, think that would be a really good. Yeah, because if if you give him twelve touches a game, he probably doesn't hold up. Right. I think he's change of pace guy. Um, I hope Jafar Armstrong is a little more than that, and they're both going to get a nice long audition in September. You know, I was what I've heard about Jafar Armstrong is like they're not really sure what he's what kind of back he's going to be. Um, but the comparison that was made to me was uh, Josh Adams, which I thought was interesting because I don't look at I don't look Jafar at Armstrong either, as Josh Adams at all. <laughs> 
but as a one cut runner, not maybe a whole lot of wiggle, but like moving forward is, is hard to deal yeah. with. Um, so that that's, I think, the, the comparison to Josh Adams. That'll be, that, that was a guy, I think, Avery Davis, they found out a lot about in the spring, and Jafar Armstrong, they didn't. Jafar Armstrong with had, injury, the injury. Yeah, Jafar yeah. Armstrong had a, a more dynamic spring game statistically, but he was running was through most. areas where there were no defenders. So yeah, and that he was, was hurt most of the spring with exactly. high ankle spring, which really, really limited him. All right, now, my last question from Twitter was from Bobby Tinkow, and he says, wide receiver seems to be perceived as a weakness. What do you think is fueling that narrative? And Bobby is optimistic about that position group. I, I understand being optimistic, uh, but what what's fueling that narrative is that just look at the numbers. I mean, there isn't a guy other than Chase Claypool that have put up, you know, really decent numbers. And Claypool's a guy that we continue to talk about that, you know, is his head going to be in the right place come this fall? Uh, we don't know that. The coaching staff doesn't know that. I would venture to guess that Chase Claypool doesn't know that. Um, you know, and that's a guy with, with great ability. Noah Boykin. It's all based upon one play at this Miles, point. Miles, Miles Boykin. I mean, yeah. uh, Miles Boykin, it's all based upon one play right now. It was a good one play. It was a really, really good good one play and one that really carries you into the offseason feeling good about the way the, the season ended up. But he's got, he has to be more consistent than that. Alizé Mack, another guy with tremendous ability, hasn't proven it yet. The, the, that narrative is because there is way, way too much to prove yet to, to just count it as a strength. I like them, but with the caveat that it all kind of depends on Claypool emerging as a real number one receiver nine out of 12 weeks. He's not going to do it 12 out of 12 weeks because he doesn't have the uh, maturity level to do that yet. You don't just all of a sudden develop it. But if Claypool doesn't, I don't think Boykin is a playoff contending number one receiver. I think he's a fine number two. I think Michael Young's a promising number three. Kevin Austin can be a guy that gets better as the year progresses. There's Lindsey to add the speed. There's the X factor in the second unit. I, this either Javon McKinley contributes every game this year with one or two catches, or he's gone because no one goes to through three years of playing at Notre Dame and not catch a pass. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't either. Him. But I'm saying he has to be. Next. You know, there's no without Claypool. I don't think anyone can step up. I don't think Boykin should be a one. Young should be a two. Other than Austin, who we don't have unless Austin, right and unless Lindsay Austin could yeah. be that good coming. Can in. Can Lindsay be that good coming in? I I think he possibly could. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think Lindsey's got some strength gains that he is really going to need to make. And I think Lawrence Keyes is in a similar boat. Track guys, you know, they come in as track guys who need to turn themselves back into football guys with, with Matt Bayless. But I think the receiver position, there are a couple ways to look at it. Is it a strength like the way you would describe a strength usually? No, not with the no. Fuller or Chris Brown but situation. But is, is it a weakness in the way that you would describe a weakness in the sense of, like, they lost – EQ and Stefferson, no, uh, you know Smith and Canteen, like they they didn't lose nearly as much as maybe what people when you just look at statistics, they're like wow they lost four receivers. Eh, that's I don't think they lost four guys. Um, you you that used were, to lose liberally there at the last. Yeah, they had guys who played who are no longer on the roster, and they would have lost Stefferson eventually, so that doesn't count. But Austin's the one guy I feel that could level jump. That makes sense. He's gonna against Michigan. He could be your Fourth or fifth yeah, guy. I mean, we he could think, be, think we didn't mention. So Austin's the fifth guy against Michigan. He could be the third guy. He could be a 35-catch freshman. Right. Right? 30-catch freshman. Sure. We're hoping. 
That's a lot of catches. No, it is. That is no, but a lot if, of catches. If Claypool one doesn't guy, work no. out, yeah, right. That, that, I mean, I'm saying that passes, based yeah. upon what what Tim's saying here. Boykin's going to catch a lot of passes too. I mean, you Don't know, and, and we're all and two. we're all again. This is all contingent upon Brandon Wimbush being more accurate throwing the football. Yeah, I mean, I I'm still in the camp of like. I'd like my number two receiver to be Alizia Mack or Cole Komet. I, I, oh, I totally agree totally with that. Agree, but, that would be, yeah. that we'll would, get to Mack later, though. That's, that's best case scenario. Uh, what do I have? I've got a basketball question from Hoop Heaven. What, um, how good will – this is in light. I had a couple basketball stories this week. I interviewed Mike Bray. How, how good can this basketball team with five freshmen or as many as five freshmen making a contribution? I mean – it's, the how good basketball question is inevitably where are you playing in the postseason? Right. I mean, that's what the question can is. They can they be NCAA tournament, tournament good? They can make the tournament. If, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they will. Yeah, I, I, that feels like an NIT team to me. So you think they will not be better? The product won't be better than last year's team, including all the injuries. The product was the product last year. Whatever happened, happened. Yeah, so, I mean, I just don't, I don't, I don't know about that. That team was like the last team out of the tournament. They lost about 150 games at some point. It seems like last year. No, they, they were, were. I mean, they were definitely the last team out. Yeah, could, a lot of teams do make the tournament. That's what I'm saying. And you think though, it's possible they're the last team out because Bonzi Colson. Well, okay, wait. Though, too, I, right? We don't. I, he gave them the. Yeah. Bonzi Colson gave them hope. Uh, the committee that he. I don't know a team by team. I don't know what the ACC has right, right. now in basketball right. this this winter. So I can't. So I mean, and that plays a role in it. But just talking about Nordheim Strickland. I mean, TJ Gibbs has to be a first or second team. All ACC Second team would be candidate. fine, right? Second yeah. team would be fine. Right. He could have been third team last year. I he didn't vote for him. We, neither, we didn't vote for him there, but he no, could have been. I know, I Neither know. one of us did. That's fine. What, I, I don't vote because of people. Yeah, <laughs> but, he probably, I, yeah but he probably deserved to be third right, team. Right, right. We could have been wrong. You know, Fluger is now, has changed his, his body. He's bigger and stronger, but he's always going to be. I read. Yes, he's, but he's always going to be limited, you know, offensively. They're counting on Burns to be a leader, but ultimately, I could see Burns being a guy that I tell. I'm going to like an Austin Torres leader. You're saying though, right? Uh, I'm going to change my NCAA pick pretty soon here. Conversation. He has a little bit more offensive ability than Austin Torres. He can shoot free throws very well, and he's bigger. He is a good free throw shooter. But what it's going to come down to, John Mooney obviously has a has to play a more extended role. Juwan Durham. Is a seven footer that they like. He's a he's a rim protector, he's but he's the got guy. to prove toughness. He's got to stay healthy too. You know, and the freshman. I mean, Lashevsky guaranteed. Lashevsky plays a lot. Uh, Goodwin plays a lot because he's a shooter. Carmody has to find his role because he's. They list him at six four, but he's not that tall. He's kind of a shorter Pat Connaughton, but he's a, he's not as good of a shooter. You know, but he's bouncy yeah. like that. Well, so right, so, so we'll fair. see. And then Hub is. Um, Bray said to me that Hub could be. He could start in the backcourt. Hub would have started in the backcourt if not for the torn ACL last Well, he still, I mean, he yeah. still may. He's, right, but he that, is, that was a, Prentice Hub would be the guy we're talking about right now without yeah. the ACL. We're, he's not going to play. They're going to play in the Bahamas. They have three games in the Bahamas in August, and he won't play in that. But he probably could. He probably would be physically ready to go, but they won't do that. But I just, they are, they're openly talking about about uh, Chris Doherty redshirting, but I'm going to make a prediction. He will not allow it to happen I because totally he will be so aggressive and so impactful up front that they're going to have to play him. And that's a guy that can bump a guy like, you know, Burns from playing time, even Durham from playing time, possibly, although you don't want that to happen. I think if we're talking about Notre Dame basketball in March and they made the tournament, the freshman class will have overachieved. 
I mean that that ha- that's, yeah, I, that to me that that is the sure. only story I, mean, I would line. say the odds are against them making the NCAA yeah, tournament. Yeah, I, I agree, but I think you would need like three and a half of those freshmen to re- and you know maybe the way you just you guys described Notre Dame hoops last year was there a shooter short? Yeah. They're probably not going to be a shooter short anymore. No. They're going to have a bunch of guys who can right. throw it in. But I to me it's it's a situation where if Elijah Burns and Jogo are playing a lot, then that's that's a team that's definitely not going to make it. If the freshmen are in, that's a team that at least has a chance, and it will be entertaining to Jogo, watch. Jogo's, you watch, Jogo will be the odd man out with this yeah. freshman class. Well, that's why I think when you mentioned guys that Doherty can play instead of, anytime you have a bruiser for Notre Dame basketball that can be effective, I'm sitting anybody for five Well, that was the guy when Everybody. I did a, when I did a film what, review yeah. on him, I said Luke Haragody, and again, you have... I'm not well, saying he's going to be that good. I bet that's the style of player that he is. I like Luke Harrigoy from freshman year more than the All American, so I'm all yeah. for it. <laughs> I love that when you're the complimentary guy that does everything yeah. like that. That's he's just going. He guy. just has that attitude. I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to battle until they tell me the game's over. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, just like Jogo. Time to go. <laughs> so that's hoops. That's a that's an early look at hoops. What else do we have on uh, football? <laughs> We're already in the NCAA tournament. We're going to get the playoff talk now, right? Yeah. So actually, that is part of it. Uh, Florida 14 in your path to the playoff article. You said the X factors have to go three for three. And he's referring to, I use Dexter Williams, Alizé Mack, and Chase Claypool as the X factors because they're, along with Wimbush, they're... It's really four for four. Wimbush is saying as well. Yeah. Wimbush has to be an X factor. Well, will these X factors go four for four then? Three for three. Are they all going to come through for Notre Dame? Because I think Notre Dame needs at least two of the three or three of the four. Uh, well, let's just take Wim- Wimbush has to play well. So let's take the other three guys. I'd say confidence level, Wimbush would be one. Mac would be two. I think both of those guys will come good this year. But then I think there is a large, large gap between two and three. Three for me would be Claypool. I'm just, if, I just have no idea what's going to happen there. And Dexter Williams would be a pretty solid fourth where... I could see, I could see him having a good year. I could see him having ten carries. I mean, I, I just have no clue what the how the coaches are going to react to him during the year. You know, whether it, we're going to be writing a bunch of he's finally turned it around stories uh, or not. But um, that I agree with the sort of theory that if Notre Dame makes a playoff, you probably need to go four for four with those guys. I just don't. I have a hard time seeing all four coming good at the same time consistently yeah. all year. If you're talking about Dexter Williams, Alizé Mack, and Chase Claypool, just those three all coming through, I'd put a 12% probability on that. Okay. Maybe 15. Well, that's, I mean, you really need uh, Mack to have uh, Mac Jonas has, Gray. Mack has to come Jonas through. Jonas Gray version of tight ends. I mean, that kind of senior year uh, where he's just really productive. is a guy you, you're watching to see what he like. I think we all sort of stopped watching Alizé Mack last year. When yes. he was in the game, it was no longer, oh, I wonder what they're going to do with him, because just nothing was really happening. Um, he was an outlet receiver yeah. last year. That I agree it. with your order. Wimbush 1, Mack 2, as far as likelihood. Of yeah. Yes, I agree too. Wimbush 1, Mack 2, Claypool 3, Williams 4. I want to give Claypool a little more benefit of the doubt where the gap between 2 and 3 isn't as large. I'm just trying to help. Just trying to. Yeah, I kind of tend to agree with yeah, you Yeah, But I, I, I agree there's a gap. Because all Mack right. makes no sense if he doesn't. Have a good year, right? Yeah. Well, if he doesn't have a good year and, you know, he's healthy through the whole thing, it's because he just doesn't have the head and the makeup to, to play the game at the high level. I mean, that's the only thing. That's the only possibility. Right, right. Okay, what percentage do you put on Claypool, Mac, William? I said 12 to 15%. What percentage do you guys put on those three? 
coming through. It might be higher than that. I'm probably, I'm being I'd, I'd probably say under 10, actually. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I was going to hit around 20, but yeah, under yeah. 10. Huh? Well, you're well, here with well, the Williams well, side, though, aren't you? It's, just, it's, a, it's a math question, right? Like, if you flip the coin, 50%. If you get heads twice, that's 25%. If you get heads oh, okay. three times in a row, it's 12.5%. Okay. So 12.5% is just like you're... You're saying that each one is a fifty percent probability of coming good, which I, I think they're I think yeah. they're less. Mac is higher, but the yeah. other two are the lower. Sticking right. po- the sticking point is Dexter Williams. We don't even know whether he's going to be in an Nordic football uniform. We don't. We don't. We, yeah. we, we do not. We forget, I will add, forget the suspension of four games. We do not know that he's going to be in a football uniform this fall for Nordic. I will add that if he is, he could be outstanding against Stanford, and then as is his want, be injured for the next four games. Right. So that's what the problem is. You have to run through injuries at running back. You can't be... Now, this might have been a little bit of a cover where Brian Kelly would say, hey, he needs to be 100% healthy to play. You know, you're not going to tell us the truth why Dexter Williams isn't playing necessarily. But he, ha- you can't be 100% healthy to play. You're not going to be 100% healthy in November. So I don't know what they'll get from Dexter Williams in November. Well, I think they need him to contend, though. I, re- I stand by they need those guys to contend. He might be more rested in November than he was in past November. <laughs> you have another yeah. question? Yeah, it's along the lines of, uh, of November, actually. Uh, from Irish88, saw the Vegas point spread. And we saw on the board it was 9, not the point spread, I'm sorry, the win total of 9. But everywhere we've kind of looked is over under 8.5. You guys say over or under. It's a pretty simple one. I was going to add to it, but... I mean, over, for sure. I, I mean, to me... I, I'm I mean, not saying ever... the acceptable, I'm saying... No, yeah. it's just like if, if someone presented me with eight and a half, I would bet the over without thinking twice about it. If you presented me with nine, I'd be like, uh, I mean, I would, no, I'd still bet the over probably, but then it would be a push, like, right? right. I mean, you, you're, you're trying to get the push out of the yeah. then. Now, if you said nine and a half, then I would bet the under. So nine is your number. Nine, nine is definitely my number. It's, I hate to be optimistic after they've won 10 games because you know, how many times, you know, I mean, they haven't won 10 games back-to-back years since 92-93. And, and, but if given eight and a half, I would definitely take the over. Well, I'm going to give you both nine. We're changing the question from under taking Nine is the number. Will it be push, over, or under? Well, I would... Because push well, is a hard mathematically. No, it's back to the mathematics here. Well, that's why, that don't, that's why they don't... That's why Vegas doesn't... Play. That's why they put them in halves. Uh... Well, I would bet push if it was nine. I think nine and three would be my prediction. But but the other thing I do every year is this is my prediction: nine and three. Are they more likely to be ten and two, right, or eight and four? I think ten and two. And I would say ten and two right now. Right now, I would say ten and two. Now, Sean Crawford got hurt in the preseason. You know, yeah. I mean, those kind of things. Not necessarily Sean Crawford. I don't know. We'd base it on Sean Crawford, but I'm saying that happened a couple years ago when things like that happened and start eroding your confidence, but. I think they'll go nine and three as well, but gun to my head, I have to choose ten or eight. Right now, you with what eight. we just talked about, with the three guys you coming through, eight. and we gave a one percent chance of Dexter yeah. Williams being in yeah. a uniform. No, that was a bit of exaggeration, but I would choose. Eight. I would choose. Eight. <laughs> I get you. Gun to my head. That's fair. Yeah, I, I'm more. I'm more ten than eight, but uh, it's not. We all not think like nine's real, about pre-camp yeah. number, though, right? Yeah, definitely. I think Timmy had the final question about the defensive line. Do I? What is it? <laughs> you want oh. to discuss it, so there was one in there. <laughs> uh, from uh, from Toasted, again. Um, saw the first-rate ranking of the defensive linemen. Why is Notre Dame so low? I had them at number four. Yeah. And they're behind Michigan, Northwestern, Virginia Tech. Well, naturally, when people look at Northwestern, 
they say, what in the world are they? And look, Notre Dame has a good defensive line. It's a, it's a, it's this. I think their linebacker core is really, really good, but I think it's the strength of, of, uh, you know, their their defense. They're deep. They're talented. But the difference in when you're rating defensive lines with Michigan, Northwestern, Virginia Tech, those three in particular, USC last year they lost a little bit more. Those guys, I mean, they put up big numbers in terms of sacks and tackles for lost yardage. Notre Dame's defensive line is still working on potential. What the, how many sacks they have last year? I mean, they had 14 two years ago and in low 20s uh, this past year. They just haven't put up the numbers like teams, like defensive fronts like Michigan, Northwestern. Yep. People do not realize how good that Northwestern front is. Their two defensive ends combined for 16, 17 ta- uh, sacks. I think it's fair preseason ranking. I believe it could go higher if Pete's guy comes through. In Tillery, you think Tillery yeah. can have a, a real breakout year? He's got his best year. I think he's I mean, have of a course se- he's going to have his best year. I think he's going to have a I'm a second round pick next spring kind of year. I think he's going to be that that good. Does that move them up for you? Let's say you have a little advanced knowledge. Basically, if, if Tillery was Trevor Laws from 2007, not like a no, hundred, because not, 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 not the tackle. Okay, yeah, and not, no, because I don't know. I don't know what they're going to get from Dalen Hayes. We okay. don't know how pro. You know, Julian Okwara, who's a really good pass rusher. Has to do more than two and a half sacks or yeah. three and a half sacks, whatever he had. Those guys really have to produce, and until you start seeing them actually get to the quarterback consistently, I can't put them up with those other defensive fronts. I would be mildly surprised if coming into his own, I guess he's a little light still, but if coming into his own as a junior, Acquire doesn't produce more. Like he, he did through about what, game five last year? He was, that's when he had the interception against North Carolina. He had had a lot of yeah. quarterback hurries and kind of yeah. getting his hands on yeah. the quarterbacks. I would think he'd mm-hmm. be able to do that for about nine. He's got to be a five. guy that, you know, I mean, he, he was good. He was effective. But now he's got to be consistently uh, uh, productive and, and disruptive. Yeah. You know, Elston pointed out in the spring that uh, he thought Aquara would be more productive because in his, I think it was 320 snaps, he was more productive than Hayes was in his 520 or 540 snaps. But I think that could be a message to Dalen Hayes, too. You can't just you, – you need to produce now going into this year. Basically, Aquara had the stats Dalen Hayes had in 200 less snaps. Yeah. I don't think that was a plan he for them. Twice as <laughs> yeah, and that's... I have more confidence that Khalid Kareem is going to put together a really good year than I do Dalen Hayes. I'm not saying Dalen Hayes won't. I'm just saying – I think Kareem will lead him my, sense. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I saw that you yeah. listed that, and and I I tend to agree. I think he's going to be – I think over the next two years, he's going to be a pretty consistently good football player. That'll be interesting to watch because I, I, I kind of wonder: Are we getting into the trap of like you like Khalid Kareem more just because you've seen less of him? May, Whereas, like, like we did seen, with Dalen Hayes yeah, last year yeah, going yeah, into yeah. the season. Yeah, there's there's he, probably he was productive to in that. his small amount. Whenever he was in the middle of the season, we're like, wow, he kind of makes got plays game, when he's in there. Got yeah, the game ball against yeah. USC. It's, yeah. Who would so, have picked you yeah. that before the game? Uh, you know, no. that's... It's a good group. They they have to take a significant step up, and it's it. You know, we talk about all these little factors. That's how you win. That's how you you're over eight and a half. The line of eight and a half wins. Sophomore defensive linemen becoming juniors is yeah. a significant year yeah. for those guys. So that's a, it's a time where they can make a big jump. Okay, man, we covered a lot. Uh, I, we're going to attempt to. July is kind of a well, this for me anyway. July is a month where I like to get away a little bit. We'll do a podcast the at some point in the next few weeks. Uh, yeah, like the coaching staff. But, yeah, I mean, we're still we're planning on another uh, podcast be- um, two weeks from today, which is July 16th. If something comes up, it'll be, we'll, yep. be adjusted, and we'll go a little bit earlier. But uh, you have been listening to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. 
For Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley, I'm Tim Priester.